2 Corinthians 11, uh, 1 to 15. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. That I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted, because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you. So I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. And there again is God's holy word, and may he bless it to us as we hear it read. Probably not exactly the greatest text uh, on uh, dealing with this theme of delivering us from evil, but I chose it because of how it presents to us the susceptibility that we all have of listening to falsehoods or messengers of Satan clothed as angels of light and showing the importance of this prayer in our lives. We have uh, looked at all of these petitions and the same point keeps being made about the Lord's Prayer that these petitions are to be daily prayers in our lives. If you have not prayed today, Lord, deliver me from evil or deliver me from the evil one, uh, you have left yourself, in, in a sense, open. Uh, you have not looked to the Lord to be your strength and help as you go into this day, not, not realizing that even in this day, the evil one can come along uh, with his works against you. 
And it's the same with all of those prayers in the Lord's prayers. It's not that it's just simply a prayer in and of itself. It's that there is so much to each of these petitions that daily we need to be asking the Lord's help and grace in all these ways. Daily we need to be setting the glory of God and His kingdom preeminent in our minds. And, and this, again, as part of our daily prayers, it causes us to realize how much help we need of Christ just to be able to stand against evil and stand in the evil day and stand against the schemes of Satan himself. It, it is calling to mind the things that would threaten our faith. I don't know about you, but there are times when uh, evil just seems so much more dark and foreboding upon the heart. Uh, reading uh, news and, and seeing what unfolds within the world. And, 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 and you just get a, a shudder to think such evil does seem to be great and manifesting itself in so many ways. I, I think it horrific. I was saying this yesterday. It's, it's a sad testament, but the USA itself has, in this past year, had over 400 mass shootings. That's more than one a day. More than one a day. And, and, and you, you step back and you think, what is it? that works in the heart of a man to go out and just to commit such atrocity. And a lot of things can be at hand, but at the end of the day, it's a realization we live in an evil day. We live in the midst of evil. And in, and in many ways, when you think about that, it is no different from the time of Christ, when He, the very Son of God, and the the man of absolute perfection walked amongst the, the, the people of this world. He was dwelling in the time of evil. Uh, that the world would take such a man who, even if they did not regard him as the Son of God, who still helped tens of thousands of people doing good wherever he went, speaking the truth of God. But because he was righteous, they wanted him dead. Because he stood for the fullness of the holiness and glory of God, they hated him. And, and Jesus warns us of that very thing in John 3. As, uh, as uh, he, he speaks about why he has come. We all know John 3, 16. And, and we know the message of the gospel. God's love to a world that he gave his only begotten son. But what is that world like? And, and Jesus tells us just a little further. He, he says, and this is the condemnation of the world. This is the world that God has loved and for which He has sent His Son. Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates light, 
and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. What a contrast. And, and that's somewhat of the reality that we are experiencing as Christ's followers, as believers in the Lord. That even as Christ has come as light into the world and was hated, he tells us on several occasions that you too will be hated for my name's sake. You too, as children of light, walking in the righteousness of God and being a testimony to the world around about who God is and all his holiness and glory, you too are going to be met with evil. You're going to be met with the hatred of the world. You're going to be persecuted, reviled. You're going to experience evil. And, and so this prayer does meet us. Uh, even as it's connected with that first part, lead us not into temptation, it builds on that. That, that there is always before us evil in this world that as Martin Luther said in his hymn, would threaten to undo us were it not for the grace and the help of our God. And so we make this our daily prayer because we need the Lord's help not only to resist temptation, but to be delivered from evil, not to be succumbed by it, not to be overwhelmed by it, not to be uh, brought under it, but to be delivered from evil. And, and the first thing we want to understand, and, and this text does help us a bit to understand what is evil. Uh, there is debate about this prayer as whether the prayer should be deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Uh, like all things, I think both. <laughs> Like many things, it pertains to both. I don't know if you can always separate evil from the evil one, but both are intended. Because evil does indeed pertain to many things, and we need to understand it is speaking of Satan himself, it's speaking of the workers that uh, are blinded by him and, and work on his behalf. But it also speaks of what we experience in this world that comes as a result of, of sin and evil at work. And understanding evil in this way, uh, Paul is not just simply speaking of a, a particular foreboding emotion. Evil comes in circumstances and events. Paul speaks in in uh, 2 Timothy 4.18, uh, asking to be delivered from every evil work. And it makes us, with that phrase, it makes us aware that evil is working. That evil is, in some sense, uh, construed as anything that would bring harm or that would attack or would increase violence or bring forth pain. Now, we have seen in, in our study from Ephesians that even such events as famines and plagues and sickness and war, though they come from the hand of God, 
They are called uh, an evil event, a time of calamity. In the Old Testament, when you read the word uh, calamity or uh, uh, other words that express a, a traumatic event that has unfolded, it's the same word that's translated evil. And it's saying it's something that has brought great harm. And you think about the tsunami that hit Japan and 80,000 people died. We can't look at that and say it was good. God ordained events like that bring forth a trauma in people's lives. And even there, the working of evil comes and, and we need to be delivered from it. It can embrace people. David, when he faced the hostilities of King Saul, made this his prayer in Psalm 59. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. Save me from bloodthirsty men. Uh, it speaks directly of those who Seek to do what is construed very specifically as, as evil, as grave sin against God's law and against people in general. I believe Paul has that in mind here in 2 Corinthians 11 when he gets down to verse 13 and down to verse 15 in that, in that last portion of what we read. He, he talks about false apostles and what does he call them? Deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, following Satan. They're working evil. They're trying to move people away from, from the truth. And it's not just that it's an evil like a, a gunman that goes out and kills a number of people. It, it's an evil where people are being turned away from God. And the gospel is being subverted so that the knowledge of Christ is taken away. Deception comes in. Evil embraces all of that. Evil embraces time periods. God, as you know from Ephesians 5 verse 16, God calls us as Christians to live a life of wisdom and prudence. Why? Because the days are what? <laughs> Evil. We live in evil times, and it's true that in certain eras of history, there have been greater periods of decline into immorality and godlessness than others. Uh, you know, I think some of us who have lived for more than half a century can look and say that evil seems much more visibly prevalent today than it did 50 years ago. And some of you who are less than 30 years of age you perhaps look and this is how it's always been all your life. But many of us can look and say, do you know how much evil has increased within this last generation? And we live in such times where the days are perhaps much more evil even compared to 50 years ago, let alone uh, other generations. The permissiveness of immorality, that anti-authoritarian spirit and self-indulgence and, and, and the evils of abortion and whatnot. We live in evil times. 
But I also believe it is speaking of Satan. Understand when we are praying, deliver us from evil, that we are praying that God would keep us from the evil one himself. Ultimately, this petition draws us to the Lord to protect and care for us from Satan himself. And and we need to be mindful of that. I've always found uh, that Christians often face two challenges when it comes to Satan. One is to minimize his presence, his power, and his work. And we, especially in this generation, are a little more apprehensive of speaking to people and to the world around us about the workings of Satan and demons than perhaps even 50 to 100 years ago. Because we, we feel that, that persecuting uh, scorn that we believe in spirits and superstitious nonsense. The world certainly minimizes Satan's presence and power and workings. But we also fall into the uh, other challenge, and that is to overemphasize his importance, to overemphasize his power. Yes, he holds the world in blindness. Yes, he works darkness in many corners. Yes, he, he can move wicked men to do increasing wickedness. But we must always remember that Satan is not even close to being God's counterpart. He is a created being. He is a created being under God's sovereignty. He is not omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. He has a derived authority and power that is given to him by the one who is sovereign and almighty. And so regard him in that fashion. But also understand he is powerful. Uh, he, he has in many ways strength greater than ours in and of ourselves. He is a, a being filled with anger, hatred and violence. Don't be deceived. Satan loves no one. <laughs> he doesn't even love his own. <laughs> he hates. He's the epitome of hatred. But he is filled with anger. And scripture tells us why he is filled with anger. Because he knows his time is short. He knows he's already been judged. He knows where he will spend eternity. And he hates God for it. He fears the glory of Christ. He fears the person of God. Even more than you do. (laughs) That's the irony. Is that Satan is more afraid of God than most of us <laughs> are. Isn't that what James says? You know, the demons, even the demons know God and they fear Him. It is always one of those things I've remarked on how whenever Jesus said to people that He healed, He says, go and show yourself to the priest and don't tell anyone what I've done for you. Just go and tell, show yourself to the priest. What do those people do? Do they obey Christ? 
Not at all. But whenever he said to the demon, stop speaking. You have no right to tell people who I am. What did they do? They shut their mouths. <laughs> they have a greater fear of God than we do to our shame. And he is a powerful enemy. And we need to understand that his rage, his anger and hatred is against God. And as Revelation 12 brings out, is against the church. He seeks to destroy. He is a murderer, a thief. He is a liar and the father of lies. He is our most powerful enemy who seeks to destroy faith in Christ, to rob us of communion with God, and to prevent the glorifying of God. That's what he's at work doing. And we need to understand evil in that light. What is, what is the evil that he is working? It's directed against God's glory preeminently. And so we pray, deliver us from evil. And, and understanding that, again, understanding Satan's devices, Satan's schemes, understanding how the evil one does work. Paul warns us here, he has a deception, a craftiness to corrupt our minds as Christians. He has an ability to transform himself into an angel of light. Haven't you ever stopped to wonder, how is it that Satan was able to convince Adam and Eve to disobey God? Uh, two people created in holy perfection, created in righteousness, who were in that state uh, sinless. They did not have a corruption of the heart. And along comes this being who probably was transformed into an angel of light and says, you don't need to listen to God. <laughs> How in the world does that happen? That they would listen to a creature over and against the Creator. When you stop and realize how he worked against them to bring sin into all of humanity and, and thus into creation itself. We who, after Adam, uh, are born with that, that original sin nature, how much more is the struggle for us? Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. And, and Satan has many many schemes. And, and these are just a, a few of the verses that remind us how Satan works to, to bring evil against us or even evil from us, sin itself. Even the smallest of things uh, like breaking oaths. In Matthew 5.37, Jesus was there challenging uh, challenging us. He says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. In other words, if you are asked to do something and you agree to do it, do it. And if you're asked to do something and you don't think you're going to be able to do it, then don't do it. <laughs> Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Why? For whatever is more than this is from the evil one. <laughs> but even, even there, that idea that we can so 
carelessly and without thinking break our oaths we don't realize. Deliver us from evil. Oh God, how easy it is to be a servant of Satan. Have you ever sworn to do something for someone and never done it? Children, don't look at your parents. <laughs> we, 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 we struggle. Yeah, it's, it's a reality. I promise. I'm sorry, I can't do what I promised. Have you ever committed yourself to something without intending to fulfill it? I, I see that a lot today. I, I have to say, I don't want to necessarily pick on this generation. But I've noted that with a lot of young people because of all that's going on. You say, are you coming to church on Sunday? Yes, I'll be there. But what they're thinking, yes, I'll be there unless something better comes along and uh, I'll go to that. We do it all the time, don't we? And, and, and you can just say, you don't know how many times I've had people say, I'm coming to church, Pastor. I'll be there on Sunday. Oh, I forgot. And what does Christ say about it? It's from the evil. You see how guarded we have to be just in, in that simple thing. And it, and it goes even more than that. Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And he points out what the wayside soil is. That heart that hears the word of God, but because it's hardened, the wicked one comes and snatches away what is heard in his heart. I like the commentary of J.C. Ryle on this. And he says very pointedly, how often has the word of God been sown in the preaching of God's word and, and someone has come along and in the ears of another said that wasn't a very good word. And Satan begins to do his work of snatching what was heard from the heart. Sometimes we do it this way. <laughs> Have you ever heard a message and walked out saying, well, I hope so-and-so heard what the pastor said this morning. As though it was only directed to them and not directed to us. How easy it is for Satan to work in stealing away the Word of God. Consider who's at work when we have these kind of thoughts and comments rolling in our mind. And sowing tares among the wheat. Jesus, again in Matthew 13, tells the parable of the tares and the wheat. And I believe that's Paul's concern here as he writes to the Corinthians. Do you understand what these false teachers are doing? They're coming with a different gospel. They're not concerned about you living in the light of the glory and mercy of Jesus Christ or the holiness of God and the glory of His kingdom to come. They want you to follow them and they're coming with a message that contradicts the gospel. And what does he say at the very beginning here when you look in, in verse 4 and he says, somebody comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or a different spirit that you haven't received or a different gospel which you have not accepted and you put up with it. I'm not saying we do, but you know, the, the, the propensity to compromise and put up with something that contradicts God Satan loves to sow tares among the wheat. My friends, there's many out there. I don't know how many times I, I, I like Paul, will name names and people will say, well, that, that person isn't that bad, are they? Well, if you listen to what they're saying, yes, they are. 
Their concern is about worldly success and standards and glory among men. That's what Paul says in, in verses seven, 5 to 7. He says, yeah, I, I don't have great speech, but I have knowledge. But I don't uh, come with great fees and charge you to, to pray, uh, pay for my ministry. Uh, no, I'm not like that. This is what these guys are doing. They want to get wealthy off the backs of God's people. They're not hard to spot, but we put up with them. Because we don't, quote unquote, want to grieve the Spirit who may be working in and through them. Well, my friends, God is able, yes, to save His people by any means. But He has put us into a box to be wise. To understand false teachers, deceitful workers are coming in the name, not of Christ, but in the name of the evil one. It gets more personal. There's, there's many other instances of how Satan works and why we need to pray this prayer. Just in simple things like anger. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. How many of us have ever exploded in some measure of anger against children, against friends, a spouse, a Christian, fellow Christian, or against Christ church. We've been offended by something that has been done. How many relationships have ended or been severely strained because of bitternesses and grudges, anger? And what does Paul say to us there in Ephesians 4? Who gained the foothold? Satan. In uh, 2 Corinthians 2, an unwillingness to forgive. Uh, you know, there in itself, an unwillingness to forgive. One of Satan's favorite schemes and devices because it involves a direct connection to the mercy of God and the wonder of the gospel that has forgiven us so much and we struggle to forgive the littler things between And probably most preeminent we know in First Peter 5, where we're warned what Satan is like. And this is against Christians. Not just the, it's not the world. This is a warning to the Christians. Satan is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Peter knew that firsthand. The Lord saying to him, you know, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He knew it. And in the context of Peter's words, one of the great ways that Satan sifts devours Christian is this whole area of humility and submitting to authority within the church. It's one of the things we resist a great deal in our hearts. We've heard it said a, a number of times, but if COVID has revealed anything in the church in these last two years, it has revealed a spirit of unsubmissiveness in Christians' hearts. It has. The division that has caused church people because they wouldn't submit to their elders. Satan devours. And, and, and that's where we come with this prayer. Deliver us from evil. It's not so much that the evil that we may face, but that the evil that we may be caught up into and even exercising in our own lives. God deliver us. And, and that brings us to our, our, our last point. But the one that I think is important for us to see. And that is 
How does Jesus deliver us? Understanding Jesus' deliverance. You see, this is a petition for deliverance. It's not a petition to be prevented from exposure to evil, but a petition for the divine governing and care of our lives in the face of evil. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. We are looking and praying to our Savior to rescue and to save us from evil. And how does Jesus do that? Well, uh, there, there can be many things said, but I want to just set these four things very quickly before you. Jesus delivers us by guarding us. He guards us by limiting the power of Satan against us. Far more than we realize. As Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, The Lord is faithful who will establish and guard you from the evil one. And he does this. You can look at Job's life to see it most particularly. You can look at it with Peter's life and see the Lord emphasizing it to him. Both in the same case, the evil one would attack the integrity of God's people. Uh, But here is the Lord coming to guard us. You only go this far. No more. Or with Peter. Know, Peter, that Satan has asked for you. And in the sovereignty of God, you've been given to him. And I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. And, and when you see Peter being tempted as he was to deny Christ and falling into that evil at, at that time of denying his Lord uh, three times, we say, did his faith fail? Well, but it looked pretty small, didn't it? <laughs> and why didn't it fail? Because the Lord guarded him. The Lord kept him. And Jesus guards us, my dear friends. Jesus guards us with his authority. And, and, and we rejoice in that. <laughs> he keeps us. He also helps us to resist the devil. He has a very particular grace that he extends to us. When James says in James 4, 6, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you think it's just simply you saying, devil, get behind me. Devil, I I oppose you. Devil, you are bound. Do Do you think it's just simply by what we speak or do? No, the context of those words are the particular grace that God will provide, excuse me, provide for you in His Son so that He will give you strength to resist. And He, in giving you that strength, you will see the devil fleeing from you. The context of those words is of the grace that is given to those who humble themselves in the presence of the Lord who guard against self-exaltation, who do so at the expense of condemning and putting down others, who are mindful of that humility and mind of Christ that must subdue self. Christ promises a particular grace to strengthen and uphold you in such times where you can resist the devil. And he will flee from you. 
and as well. And, and this, is, this is also uh, a, a portion of the grace that Jesus brings us when we pray, deliver us from evil. It's to acknowledge and understand how Jesus has already drawn us out of the realm of Satan's power into the kingdom of God. In Ephesians 2, it speaks there of how we in Christ are raised up into those heavenly places and seated with Christ Jesus. We have those times and moments in our lives where Jesus just reminds us who we are and what work he has done already in delivering us from the kingdom of darkness and bringing us into a kingdom of light. And and there Jesus points us in delivering us. He points us to that grace that has already saved us. An understanding of how Jesus himself has conquered our enemy. (laughs) And he is also delivering us from evil in the sense of silencing this accuser. Satan, that very name means to accuse. And and it addresses one of the chief schemes of Satan working against God's people. Accusing them of being unworthy of God's love, of being unworthy of God's mercy, of being more than a sinner in in the sight of God, one who uh, does deserve the death of, of eternity in hell. He accuses us of being slaves to sin. He robs us of that confidence of, of hope that our condemnation has been gone, it has been taken away in Christ. And, and, and you see that working of Satan in our hearts as, as we at times fall into despair in our struggles against sin or we find ourselves reminiscing of, of sins of our youth or times when we have been so unfaithful to God and how it torments the mind and how at times we fall into those times of depression. My friend, Satan works in those ways. And who is it that is speaking to us? Who is it that comes to meet us with the truth of his saving power? Who is it that is able to silence Satan's whispers when Satan would bring a charge against God's elect? Who is it that has justified you? (laughs) Jesus Christ. When Satan would come and try to condemn you, who is it that has died in your place and has risen and is seated at the right hand of God, ever making intercession for you so that you are saved to the uttermost. It is Jesus. And Satan comes to try and separate you from the knowledge that you are in the love of God forever and nothing can pluck you out of his hands. Who is it that comes as the good shepherd and and says to you, hear my voice. You are mine. I know you. You know me. How is it that we overcome Satan's accusations? Revelation 12, 12. The blood of the Lamb. (laughs) Have but to look to Christ. Look to the cross. Have the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. 
Do you see the peace that Christ has accomplished for you with your God? Deliver us from evil. It's amazing with each of these petitions that we have looked at, they always draw us back to the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ and what he has done to save us and to save us to the uttermost. Friends, that's where you rest. Jesus delivers his people from evil. And one day, one day, we are going to experience the fullness, the consummation of that deliverance. The presence of sin is completely washed away. So this is a, a very great prayer, a very great prayer that is merged with the hope of the gospel. May we uphold it in our lives. Let's pray.